Welcome back to the Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Mudge Riley. I changed careers back in the early 2000s, and I found it difficult to find credible, reliable resources to help me. So once I successfully transitioned to a non-clinical career, I made it my mission to help other physicians who were looking at a possible non-clinical or non-traditional career, whether part-time, full-time, or just diversifying their career with a non-clinical side gig. Today, I have a guest that we haven't talked to before. She's going to give a brief summary about her background and what she's doing now. And I know you guys have seen a little bit about her if you're on some of the Facebook groups or if you're on LinkedIn, because she's doing a lot and she's putting it out there. So if you haven't heard of Industry MD Coach, well, you're in for a treat. And if you have and you want to kind of hear the backstory and what brought this into being, what that actually is, and how it might be able to help you. Well, here we go. So hi, Narissa. How are you today? I'm doing well, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. So I think it would be great just to start off by talking a little bit about your background. Uh, What is your specialty? How did you get to med school? And then how did you figure out what you wanted to do, which wasn't one-on-one patient care, I guess. That's right. Yes. Uh, So um, how did I get to medical school? You know, I was science oriented all along. Biology made kind of um, the the more boring background medical school story. Um, And then uh, knew that I wanted to do endocrinology from very early on. Uh, but actually did not know that I wanted to do that via pediatrics until I was a um, medical student, did my peds rounds and uh, fell in love with pediatrics. So I found um, a residency with a great ped endo fellowship and did all of my training there at uh, Riley Hospital in Indianapolis. Um, So in my pediatric endocrinology fellowship, I had a great opportunity, a wonderful mentor um, to both try out basic science research and clinical research. Um, Really fell in love with clinical research. I ran a small trial when I was a fellow and also had an opportunity to do a master's in clinical research through my fellowship. So this was a program that we had diversity through the NIH. Um, So I took advantage of that. It was two years uh, of my three-year fellowship that I was working through that. And that led to that clinical research that I mentioned earlier. So I really fell in love with clinical research. And so I knew that was the path I wanted to take. I thought that was going to be via academics. Um, You know, I I knew about people working in the pharmaceutical industry. There were a couple of examples of pediatric endocrinologists, in fact, but their examples were very different. So they were people who had, you know, gone through their whole career, been professors, and then transitioned to the pharma industry as kind of like the last thing before they retired. So going early was not something that I had really seen an example of. Um, But as we, um, you know, I finished my fellowship, Uh, my husband at the time was doing a sports medicine fellowship and matched in Boston. And so my plan 
just, you know, go to one of the Boston uh, academic institutions and have a career in clinical research. That kind of fell apart um, and uh, budget cuts uh, happened at this university. And so the clinical research position disappeared. They offered me a clinical role um, and I really, you know, at the time I, it, I had to do a lot of soul searching to not sort of just take that role. We were young, you know, had a new family and uh, I, I needed a job in Boston, frankly. But I decided to look around before I accepted the role and actually a sales representative from a pharma company who I knew, um, she actually was the sales rep for one of the growth hormones that as a pedendo we frequently prescribed. And so she just, she encouraged me to give her my resume and she sent it in to some people at the company she worked for. And I landed a role via that, that network, frankly. Um, and so that's how I ended up in the pharmaceutical industry quite early in my career was this kind of fortuitous turn where academics didn't work like I thought it was going to. And uh, my, so my first role was a medical affairs director at Serono. Ah, all right. So medical affairs director that is somewhat ambiguous. And I know that people, they hear medical director, associate medical director, medical affairs director, and people who are not working in pharma, but may want to, or may just be interested in it are always saying, what, what do you do in those roles? What do you do all day? So tell us what, what did you do in that role? And then how did it evolve for you? Sure. So I think medical affairs is actually the most ambiguous of all of the kind of typical roles that physicians and pharma do. Um, so the way I describe medical affairs, a couple of things, they're the more external facing physicians. So they tend to communicate outwardly with other physicians, um, whether they're you know, practicing clinicians or more of what we call a KOL, a key opinion leader. So there's someone at an academic university that's kind of the thought leader in the space. So you're communicating science to those people externally. Um, the other way I describe it to people is being a bridge internally at the pharma company between the clinical researchers or clinical development and the commercial team. So the medical affairs team typically takes that clinical development information and translates it into more lay language um, or helps the commercial team to really understand what exactly is happening in the clinical development space with, with any drug that they might be supporting. Um, it is a, a role where you tend to travel more um, and, and that's incredibly variable. So I don't want people to walk away thinking if I have a medical affairs role, I have to travel all the time. There's a wide spectrum um, between the jobs in medical affairs as well as between different companies. But you do tend to have to travel some. Um, 25%, you know, it might be up to 50 or 60% if you're uh, in a very, um, in, a, in a space where you really have to get out and meet a lot of people. Mm -hmm. 
So it sounds like then this is the type of role that you can transition right into from clinical practice because it is very heavily science-based and you are explaining the science to a number of different stakeholders who may not have the background of a physician. Is, am I hearing that right? Spot on. Yeah, you're totally right, Michelle. Um, so this is a role where you really are using your medical brain, right? You're taking information from clinical trials and helping to translate it. Um, and you might be translating it on a team of people working on marketing material. So you're sort of the medical consultant in a way on the team to say, well, I would describe a disease this way. I would use these words to describe it to people. Um, I would describe the way this drug works in these words versus another set of words. So you really can think of it as kind of a medical consultant. Um, the other thing that medical people do that you also don't need specific experience for, I completely learned this on the job, is phase four clinical trials. So, you know, if we talk about the phases of drug development, right, you start with phase one and you go through phase four. Mm -hmm. Phase four is a marketed drug. So you're doing trials or research with a marketed drug. It's already approved by the FDA or another regulatory authority. The other phases are those that you're working on drugs that have not been approved. So medical affairs is kind of a line in the sand, right? Medical affairs typically works on drugs that have already been approved. So you might be involved as a medical affairs director or associate director uh, in designing registries. So physicians are very aware and I'm sure your audience is aware. We often have to do ongoing clinical research on drugs that are already approved to understand their long-term safety or their long-term efficacy. And phase four trials are the way we do that. So one of my jobs when I took this role at Serono was to run a phase four registry for this growth hormone product. Um, and so I still was able to touch some clinical research, but it's very different, right? It's much more observational, um, but you still do abstracts and publications from those registries. So that was also um, a, a lot of fun and something that I didn't go with that experience, but I was able to learn it just, just from my medical background. So then how did that translate to other jobs within pharmaceutical industry? Because I think you've spent the past, what, 15 years in pharma? Right. 15 years. Yes. Wow. Wow. So talk about some of the other roles that that evolved into and maybe touch on some of the roles that you really enjoyed and um, that you feel like would be something for physicians who may not have had a role in pharma to look at, because it can be overwhelming when they're looking at just the pharmaceutical industry. Sure, sure. So with my background in clinical research from fellowship, I really knew that that's what I wanted to transition to. Um, but because this medical affairs role was available, you know, I felt like that was an, an interesting end to the pharma industry. So a couple of years after um, being in the job at Serono, 
I was able to, I, I got recruited to look at another job at another company. Um, and the role was really interesting because they wanted someone to do part medical affairs and part clinical development. And I would be able to work with a manager who was a VP in clinical development. He had many, many years of experience in the pharmaceutical industry. And so I really saw that as an opportunity to gain that clinical development experience in the pharmaceutical industry, but also do something about, it was about 50-50, do something that I had trained to do and, and had experience doing so I could come in and make an impact while at the same time have the opportunity to learn on the job, the clinical development piece. Um, And that was a really great stepping stone, great company, uh, really started my career path in the rare disease space. So that I've spent my whole career in a variety of rare diseases, but I really have kind of specialized in rare disease drug development. Um, so through, through the course of time, I, I won't take you through all of my roles, um, but I've really tried very hard to keep experience in both clinical development and medical affairs. That's a little different than a lot of people. So a lot of people tend to track one or the other. And so if you come in in medical affairs, you typically stay in the same in clinical development. For me, I felt it was important because I ultimately had this goal of being a chief medical officer, which is what I am now. And so the chief medical officer has responsibility for clinical development and for medical affairs. And so with that goal in mind, I've had roles in both throughout my career of just increasing seniority and responsibility. Yeah, well, and what I find really interesting too about your perspective is how you describe taking each role and bringing something to it, but also coming to the role with no experience in some of what you will have to do and taking that role specifically for that reason so that you can get that experience and then leverage that for additional work. And sounds like you sort of moved up into that chief medical officer role by doing a lot of these different things. And I I love that. I think it's a great way to look at your career and, and always continue to learn and get past the, the, you know, the boring aspects of work because you, you know, you're always reaching towards something. And as we all know, once you take a job, you're very excited, but after a while it gets a little boring. You're kind of like, I don't know. And so it's a good perspective of how to look at something and, and keep moving forward. So thanks for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I do think, you know, one of the things I love about the pharma industry is that it is never boring. (laughs) I mean, I just have the opportunity to touch so many different things. So this kind of forever learner, um, you, you really have the opportunity to understand and learn so many things. Um, Yeah, it's for me, I think it's been really a great career. So talk about then, now that you've had all of this success, I know you've started something called Industry MD Coach to help others who are interested in getting into the pharmaceutical industry. Um, And I can see why you would do that because we all just really kind of want to help others get to where we are because we we've had such a great experience in what we're doing. Um, So I, I, I love that you took that and you decided to create this Um, Talk about what you talk about with your clients and and who comes to you? Who have you worked with? Who's your ideal client? 
Yeah. So I would say there are two groups. The first is a physician who is in the exploration stage. So they're thinking about what they want to do. Maybe they're, um, they've decided clinical medicine isn't exactly right for them, but they're exploring different opportunities. Um, I can work with them to help them understand specifically the opportunity in pharmaceuticals and, and biotech. Um, I also touch on the device industry as well, uh, because there's so much overlap, but I really am specific to someone who wants to understand more about pharma and biotech. Um, so that would be one group that, that explorer stage. The other is a physician that knows they're ready. They really want to pursue a career in the pharmaceutical industry and they need help understanding how to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very nebulous um, and it's very network driven. So I really help people to walk through the steps of understanding what opportunities there are and helping them to figure out, do I want to pursue medical affairs? Do I want to pursue clinical development? Or we haven't talked about you know, safety and pharmacovigilance. There are a number of opportunities. So I really help them understand that and then walk them through a variety of things to get them to that job application and interviewing stage. Oh yeah, and that is so helpful to have that focused hand-holding leading you towards kind of your goal. So tell me then, does do all of these roles require board certification and licensure? Yeah, great question. Um, n- no, so, um, you know, there are roles, and I will say to the audience that often you will see in a job uh, description, you know, board certified pediatric endocrinologist. They're not actually going to go and check your board certification, most likely. Not that I would suggest you not be honest about it, but it's really what they want is your medical training and your knowledge. Mm -hmm. So the board certification and licensure, you know, I don't actually practice medicine. So I don't take care of patients. Um, And I actually, just as a a personal example, when I moved to Massachusetts, I let my license lapse. So I don't have an active medical license, but that's okay because I'm not practicing medicine actively. I don't care for patients individually. Um, so it's incredibly varied. And, and I think this message is important, not only about you know seeing something on a job description like board certified surgeon, um, you will see things on job descriptions. You should not read them as absolutes. Read them as we would like this. <laughs> so, you know, they're going to put things like three to five years of pharmaceutical experience. That doesn't mean that people that don't have three to five years couldn't land that job. My first job description had three to five years of pharmaceutical experience. I had none and I got the job. So um, I would just encourage the audience to take job descriptions as kind of a nice to have, not a must have as they read through them. I completely agree. And I, I tell people that too. It's amazing to see who they actually hire and what the job description says 
after it's all said and done. They use it as a guide, certainly. And it's important to be able to try to be able to explain how you might fit into the different requirements and experience um, that's asked for. But you're right, actually having it. I mean, no one's going to get the ideal candidate because the ideal candidate either doesn't exist or isn't interested in that job. Um, so they, yeah, they need someone with that medical background who has some experience and spinning your current experience into how that might fit into this role is oftentimes a great way to get your foot in the door. Is that what you find? Absolutely. Yes. And, and that's part of the coaching I do with people, you know, um, there's something about us as a group physicians that we're perfectionists, right? <laughs> and so we feel like we have to check every box before we could apply for something. So that's why I named this coach actually, because I really feel like there is some sort of psychological coaching that I'm doing to help people with self-esteem, self-confidence, um, and really being able to sort of mentally get into the right mindset of, I don't have to be the perfect candidate. I have to try, I have to put myself out there. I might not get the first job I apply for, which again, for physicians, we're used to being, right? The highest achievers and we accomplish everything. Um, so, so there is some mindset shift throughout this process that goes along with what I'm doing, right? Not just the tactical piece, but also that kind of mindset shift that we work on as well. I am so glad that you said that, that you focus on that because it really is uh, so much of a mindset and a confidence thing. It, you, you can feel confidence resonating from people and you can feel that lack of confidence too. So I'm glad that you help people get shaped up into knowing their worth so that they can then communicate that to the hiring manager or the recruiter and, and move on to the next level. Because I mean, really, it's just kind of about telling your story and telling it well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So much of that. Yes. Well, and you have a big announcement coming up, right? I looked at your website. There's a big pop-up that says big announcement coming in 2021. Can you give us a little teaser? I know you're not going to tell us everything. I, I asked you before, you said, absolutely not. Um, but give us a little teaser. What are you going to be offering? Yeah. So um, I think, you know, people that have been to my website, I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work. So whether it's working with someone on an hourly basis or my package, um, this is going to really expand the reach of what I can do for um, my physician colleagues. And so I'm looking forward to launching this in 2021, fresh start, right? It's the new year. Um, so yeah, it really is going to be something that it can expand the reach of the industry MD coach. All right. To be continued then, I guess, and you'll yeah. reveal it in, in due time and you're in your time, I guess, which I get it's, so that's great. And everyone should watch for this announcement because I'm sure it'll be coming in January, maybe early February. Definitely. Yeah. And um, you mentioned the pop up. So, you know, if people want to get the news first, if you're on my email list, you'll get the news first. So go and sign up. And it's that's all free, right? Right. 
Absolutely. Yeah. The email list, obviously free. Um, people get my blog. I, I do a weekly blog. Uh, so they get my blog post through the email. Um, you can also get it on the website too, of course. Um, and other um, information that I see that's of interest that I think my readers uh, would like to hear about. Awesome. Well, and I'm so excited. You're going to be speaking at the March 2021 Physicians Helping Physicians Conference as well and talking a little bit about tips and tricks to getting into pharma and giving some of that very expensive coaching advice. So um, I know that the attendees who are already signed up are really excited. And some people have mentioned you by name. So I'm just so happy that you're able to be part of the group this year. So thank you for that. Uh, well, thank you. You run an absolutely wonderful course. Um, I, you know, participated in the last one and I, they're, they are amazing. You bring a great group of speakers. So I'm sure <laughs> it's going to be great as well. Thanks. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up with um, maybe one last thing. Um, can you give just some, some quick tips for people who are interested in the pharmaceutical industry, maybe thinking about working with you? What should they do right now in order to be prepared? What can they do on their own so that then they'll be really ready if they decide to work with you and take it to the next level? Sure. Yeah, so a, a couple of things. Um, one of the pieces of advice that I give people, they, you know, people who say, I, I really have no idea where to start. So I suggest that people think about the drugs that they use on a day-to-day -day basis, things that they prescribe, write down a list of those and then match them to the company that actually markets them. That helps to drive your list, right, of target companies. It also speaks to your therapeutic area specialty, which is often what pharma companies are looking for. And so it really just helps people to hone in on a list of companies. And I think it, it helps to give them some grounding of this isn't such a big um, unknown. And it helps them to understand that, okay, here's one small step I can take. Um, the other would be to think about what they've done over the course of their medical career, not only from the standpoint of medicine, but from the standpoint of things like managing teams. Like when we're residents, we manage people, um, managing their clinic staff. So thinking about themselves in a different light, uh, I think really helps to, again, sort of open up their, their possibilities. Uh, and if they can come with that kind of thinking, it really helps us to, to get into the program much quicker and start to make those big strides in that confidence in getting to that first job application. Those are great pointers. Thank you. And if you're interested in pharmaceutical industry or really just thinking about it, I would encourage you to take those words to heart and start doing a little bit of that internal work and even that might help you either get more excited or less excited, which would also be a little bit of a sign for you as far as, is this the right path for me? Or is there another path that might be a better fit? Definitely. 
All right, Narissa, thank you so much for being on today. This has been really interesting and fun. And um, I always love hearing from you. So thanks again. And to everyone that is listening, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being part of the Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. And we look forward to you being part of the next one. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this Physicians Helping Physicians podcast. If you are jazzed up after listening to this, hit that subscribe button or check out more at Physicians Helping Physicians, www.phphysicians with an S on the end.com. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you.